This is the CX Insights Rockstars Podcast. And this is your host, Dr. Frank Buckler, founder and CEO of CXAI. Let's rock this show. Welcome to our new episode for CX Insight Rockstars. Today's topic is Punk CX, an anti-framework that simplifies CX and CX insights. Our guest today is Adrian Swinsko, CX Punk, best-selling author of How to Wow and Punk CX, Forbes contributor, keynote speaker, and CX adv advisor. Welcome, Adrian. Hey, Frank. How are you doing? Nice to be here. I know this splendid Monday morning. <laughs> Wonderful. Before we really jump into the meat and the discussion, tell us how did you end up in customer experience? Uh, what's what's your journey to? Oh crumbs! So it's a long journey. I mean, I, I guess I, I ended up here by uh, you could say maybe by accident or by fortune. Uh -huh. One of the, you know it's probably one of the same thing. But I mean, I'm I started working. So I trained as an economist. Please forgive me, and then trained as a teacher. And then tried to do kind of a combination of both across the, the 1990s, both here in the UK and also then overseas. So I spent a long time in the Middle East and and then toyed with the idea of becoming a professional economist at the end of the 90s, thinking about doing a PhD. And I ended up kind of growing a beard and sort of stroking my chin quite a lot. But at the end, I realized I didn't really have the stamina kind of like um, for that. So... I flipped into kind of took an MBA, flipped into then the commercial world because I've been probably working in education and also kind of the more not-for-profit advocacy sector. And then so I took an MBA, flipped into the commercial world, worked for a couple of big corporates for about four or five years, basically building things, building new things, new propositions, new ideas, new new business units, all that type of stuff. And then from about 2004, I started working independently, did a bunch of just um, consulting work. Uh, both independently, but also with groups of different people. And and I quite liked the idea of working independently. And then around about sort of 2008, I realized that if I wanted to do that, I needed, to, I could see the way that the market was going in terms of digital presence and things. And I, I realized that if I wanted to stay independent, then I needed to build what I, what I called at the time, trust at a distance. I needed to build this digital footprint And so I started my own website, started writing about things. I was writing about general stuff to start with. It got really boring very quickly. And so then I thought, well, I need to write about something that I either care about or that I don't like and I would like to change. And I realized quite quickly that I don't like bad service. Never have. That always frustrates me, having built a bunch of different things in different places that have always had kind of customer and employee value at their heart. It frustrated me that bad service and experience is something that can be avoided. And many times organizations get in the way of their people and their customers having kind of like the, the service and experience that they want. So I thought, I'm going to start exploring that. And so I started writing about it. And then I started um, so blogging about it and then, then wrote a self-published book and then started podcasting about it and then started and then wrote, uh, then got invited by Forbes to write that, a column for them, then wrote another book, How to Wow, and then wrote another one, Punk CX, and I'm now writing another one, which I might tell you about a bit later. And all that time, it's all, I end up building this footprint, trust a distance, this voice, 
in service and experience, which has led to people come and ask me for to tell them one what they think and to tell them some stories and and to facilitate stuff. And so I get I have now have a portfolio of advisory work, sort of workshop type stuff, and then also speaking and writing and research and things. And so that's how we got to here. I get paid to do stuff I like with people I like, I guess. So you arrived because customer experience is really close to your heart. You you want to improve it. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, it's just like, there's a, there's a lot of people, it feels to me, there's a lot of people that customer customer experience has become a thing, right? It's like the latest gold rush. Yeah. And everybody's kind of piling on this kind of bandwagon. And because it's, it feels like the space to be, but they don't really know why they're here. So now you, you wrote this book, Punk CX, and I was already seeing this book. It was like, it's very close to our title as well, CX Inside Rockstars. And maybe, maybe can you lead us to why it's called uh, Punk CX and what's, what's the main message of it? The main, mes the main message comes out of, it's like a sense of frustration, which is sort of pure punk in of itself, right? And so the, the, the short backstory to it is that I was in a pub with a friend of mine back in December 2017, drinking Guinness with my friend Oshin. We're getting quite drunk. He's in the CX space. We were having a bit of a moan about what's going on. And because we saw all this activity and all this investment, but not a, a lot of significant improvements. And I, I guess in a moment of clarity, I just blurted out, I wish somebody would do something a bit more punk. Now, I'm a fan of punk music. I'm not original punk, but like a more of a post-punk sort of thing. I'm originally a sort of new wave, sort of ska sort of guy. But punk is, and the idea, the very idea of punk is something that really, that really resonated with me. Now, I, I, because of the drink, probably, I probably forgot that idea. Then it popped back into my head again in sort of June of 2018. And I started to explore this idea about what does punk and CX could they go together? And it made me think about where punk music came from. And punk music exploded at the back of progressive rock in the 1970s. And progressive rock was this popular, but also super elaborate and technical and kind of genre of music that was all about how many kind of organs you could play at the same time and how many notes you can have in your solos and 13 minute songs and stuff which is all about the musicians and their own virtuosity than it was about anything else and they got accused of basically being more interested in itself and disappearing up its own arse and punk went turned around and went i don't need to have a phd in music i just need to pick up some drumsticks or a guitar or write some lyrics and just try and it struck me that the way that this that experience space had developed that it was starting to look a lot like progressive rock through the 1970s you know overly codified benchmark metric frameworked maturity curves blah blah yada yada blah you know it's all the same but yet we kind of we're in danger sometimes of losing sight of who we're here to serve i.e our customers and it made me think well if that's true it looks a bit like progress and therefore what would a punk version look like and my thesis is that like punk i don't have an answer i am the book was i call it a visual slap in the face for the customer experience industry it's i am trying to advocate for better outcomes and better thinking and different thinking i don't care how you get there i just want you to get there because i believe that we can and i believe that there's like 101 different solutions to a particular kind of problem but i want us to look for those solutions To be to have the bravery and the courage to look at things differently. Let's dive into it a bit more. 
uh, detail. So you're saying that the, all the elaboration is partly ineffective or serves itself. And, and now you don't have an answer, but basically you, you are saying, hey, think again, right? But mm -hmm. what tips and yeah, advice give the book so that think again can be successful? So there's, you know, I know that you look at success drivers and you talk about insights and insights professionals and everything else. So I think the thing that I um, that I think about this sort of, uh, in the book, I think I mentioned this this one quote, and it's a it's a quote from a Polish American linguistic scholar. And and forgive me if you've heard me say this before, because it's I get quite bored, uh, probably quite boring about this, but I repeat it again and again because it's a beautiful quote. One Miss Jennifer called Alfred Krzybski, and he says, the map is not the territory. And what he means by that, I believe, is that maps are really useful to help you understand kind of how things are, but they don't tell you what's going on on the ground, right? It doesn't tell you if there's a pothole over there or there's a pothole over there, or that a cow is going to be crossing the road at some point then, you know, in, you know, in the future. You know, the map can't tell you that. But from a, and if you think about what's, what dominates the experience sort of space is people talk about data and data-driven decision-making and the data we can derive from insights and, all, and so on and so forth. But data is like the map, right? But it's not the territory. And sometimes we end up kind of like taking kind of distant data and thinking that it's, a, it's an accurate representation of kind of reality. But the key is, and this is the punk bit, is that you've got to understand that and you've got to be not comfortable with that and want to go further, to go beyond the data to see the territory, to understand the data in context, in those individual contexts that are kind of customers, to understand what it really, really, really means. And that's my point, is like going, you know what, if you're just showing up and painting by numbers, you're not going to create art. And that's one of the first tracks I use in the book. I ask this question, are you an artist or are you just coloring in? And most people are just coloring in, expecting to produce art. And that's a good, good metaphor. I, I will steal it. <laughs> uh, can you translate this into example actions you would derive from that for enterprises? So what would this mean actually? What should they do to improve the CX? Or what is an example someone did based on this knowledge? Right. So here's here's an here's an example. So there's a guy, an example that a guy told me is Andy McMillan, who's the CEO of a, of a company called User Testing, who they're a big insight sort of uh, company. And they told us about or he told me rather about a client that they had who was going. They were they operated predominantly online, um, or they had a, a combination of things, but they were talking about their their e-commerce part of their business. And then into their heads that frictionless experience was the most important thing, right? Because that's what everybody's talking about. Everything had to be friction free because that, and they were, so they end up looking at their data and understanding and interpreting kind of their, you know, their, their, um, their data and using that to try and pinpoint where the most, fric the, the, the highest levels of friction were around their whole checkout e-commerce experience. They went through this big program removing all the friction and everything else. And yeah, brilliant. They were successful. Everywhere, straight through their checkout, super quick. 
right? The problem is people went through and never came back. And they were horrified at this. They were like, why have we made it really easy and friction-free from them? Kind of like, why are they not coming back? And then they really started to dig into their data and really understand and talk to their customers and what the, the data failed to tell them that the friction that their customers were going through as they compiled their basket of goods and customized the thing that they wanted, that friction was the thing that was creating value for them and the relation, the sticky relationship with that 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 brand. And so when they, had, when they then they unpicked all of this sort of stuff and went, actually, customization, the process of it, and actually, there's a difference between good and bad friction and things. And that, if you go past the data and really contextually understand it. And so that's my kind of point about that is like, you know, punk was also about this thing around question everything, every, anything and everything, because otherwise you get caught up on these kind of memes or these, these ideas, these kind of like these river flows that, that take you places that you just don't want to go. So now I'm really get, get the core message. Great example, because This resonates with me as well. Uh, we are too much occupied believing what we learned or what we know is, is right. But most of the time it's basically wrong and we cannot feel how wrong what we know is, right? So we need yeah. to be aware that we need to learn always, right? And, and that's what I'm hearing is, is a philosophy to be always open and learn and don't believe your map is telling The truth, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like that you can, I'm not saying that you can like throw everything out with the kind of like, throw it all out. But what I'm kind of saying is that if you want kind of better, if you want more, you want to achieve kind of higher kind of levels, then doing the same thing as everybody else and expecting to come out in front is insane. Yeah. And therefore, you have to be willing to do something different. And doing something different could be, why can't we just question how things are? Doing something different doesn't have to mean that you have to have green hair, you know, and kind of like, you know, look like a punk. It, punk is about this. Do you question things? Do you, are you willing to explore things? Are you willing to kind of understand and go further than somebody else rather than just follow kind of what everybody else and expect different results? Wonderful. So... From your point of view, what does it mean exactly for the work of CX Insights professionals? I guess it was um, ask yourself, let's ask yourself a question. Um, what is the map I'm working to? And how different is that map from the territory? Because your question is, do I, under it's not that like, do I understand the map? No, everybody can understand the map, right? The real question is, do you understand the territory? Because that's your job. Not to understand a map, but to understand the territory. Too many people are working off a map and they don't understand the territory. In another important question to for CX Insight professionals is, you know, we, we found in a, in a industry study, the key pain point uh, of those professionals is to actually gain leadership buy-in for the insights they generate, right? So And so for the recommend, recommendations also they, they come up with, yeah? So that's that's our biggest pain point. Do you have any any recommendation or advice for for those professionals um, in your from your context? Um, I would say that the um, you've got to collapse the distance between kind of like 
kind of leadership and where you need buy-in and sponsorship and also if you like customers and their stories and what happens is we end up doing this all this levels of filtering and things and you basically got to collapse these things because data is like one thing data will tell you a whole bunch of stuff but until you actually humanize it until you actually kind of get to a point where people can go oh that's people like me experiencing stuff like that that i wouldn't like right and because it's emotion and stories that move people data informs us but emotions and stories move us and so i would say for insights professionals one of the biggest things you've got to try and do is try and get as many of your leaders as possible in front of or exposed to customer stories. You can get, they might go, I'll oh, give me a 30,000 kind of feet view of this sort of thing. You're like going, no, I'm going to chuck you out the plane, <laughs> right? You, I, I need to chuck you out the plane because then you're going to understand what it's like, uh, it, it's like on the ground. Yeah. Because 30,000 feet view means that everybody looks this big and it looks inconsequential. And what you've got to do is you've got to make that thing go, and so it looms large because then they get it. And I think that's what CX insights professionals need to be working just as hard. It's easy to dismiss a piece of research or insight or a score or whatever if it doesn't fit, but it's hard to dismiss a real voice telling a real story or rather it's harder to dismiss that. You can always kind of, it's quite easy to kind of like underpin or undermine kind of like data. But if you keep coming up with stories and stories and stories and stories that are saying the same thing, it becomes harder to undermine those things, particularly as isolated incidents or whatever, when it's a consistent theme kind of coming through. So bringing that real qualitative voice of the kind of customer, bringing it to life and exposing people to it, actually exposing them to it when they actually hear it and feel it themselves, that's the real work, I think. Good point. Adrian, we are, we are clo close to the end. What question did I miss? What, what question would you ask uh, if you would be me? Of me? Crumbs, <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what question would I ask of me? Um, you know, it's not often I get stumped by that, but actually I'm stumped. I don't know the answer to that question, unfortunately. Um, Ah, I'll tell you what, what do you, what do those two posters mean? Uh, Adrian, what do these two posters mean? Aha, yeah, back to you. Let, Frank, let me tell you. <laughs> so that one over there, uh, which is that one over there, so the, the, the Japanese symbols is an old one, which means um, going to go to the Gemba. Uh -huh. And it's an idea from the old Toyota management system, which means in the Gemben Japanese means the real place where the action really kind of like happens. So like news reporters talk about reporting from the Gemba or the like police detectives talk about the scene of the Gemba, like the scene of the crime, right? In Toyota, we talk, we talk about the Gembas when they went and walked the factory floor to actually understand what was kind of going on. That is um, a real, I think is a real value to kind of insights professionals. It's like figure out where the Gemba is and go there yeah. and be like your, be like a war correspondent, as it were. He's like, I'm going over there and I'm going to send some dispatches back from there because that's kind of what your job is. It's almost like to send dispatches to build that picture of what's actually really happening on the, in. and then the second one, the green and white one, 
is a long acronym, which I think is all about personal performance and trust and credibility. Any guesses of what it might be? No. Um, very simply, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Say it again. Do what you say you are going to do when you say you are going to do it. Uh -huh. And I think there's sometimes there's simple things that we do that inspire trust and confidence and reliability. And I think that is one of them that we don't hold ourselves to as much as, as we should. And if we did that as individuals, if we did it as teams, I think as, if we did it as leaders, if we did it as organizations with everybody, our customers, our employees, our stakeholders, our investors, all these different sort of things. If we held ourselves accountable to that, mm. then either we'd never say anything and we wouldn't do anything because we wouldn't want to help be held accountable or we'd achieve a heck of a lot more. Yeah. I think it'd be the latter. Wonderful. That's a great final word, Adrian. It was great to have you in the show. Thank you so much, Frank, and all the best. Enjoy. This was an episode of CX Insights Rockstars. Join the CX Insights Rockstars on LinkedIn and keep on rocking CX Insights.